The diversity of languages and cultures in our international schools is what I think makes them so special. But this can also be a huge challenge. If your school battles with how to support students with varying English language levels, I've got three actionable ways you can build a supportive program in your school. Hey everyone, it's Shane Leaning. Welcome back to Global Ed Leaders, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I'm an organizational coach and in this show, I learn with the teachers, leaders and innovators making a difference around the world. And every other week, I share bite-sized strategies to inspire your leadership and that's what today's episode's about. So as many of you know, one of the main things I do with schools that I work with is around professional development and around leadership strategy. But what you might not know is that I got into these areas because of my specialism in EAL or English as an additional language before when I headed up EAL departments in international schools. And funnily enough, it was through this EAL and actually through providing consultancy to schools across Asia to support them with their language programs that I developed my passion for professional development and saw the importance of effective leadership, which is what took me in the current direction. Having said that, I still think that probably about 20% of my time is spent supporting international schools with their language programs. It seems when you get a reputation for something specific, it sticks. And I still love going to support those schools. So I thought today I'd share with you a couple of the key strategies that I often share with schools. Because let's face it, most of our international schools, if not nearly all, I don't think I've heard of very many schools that don't have a massive English as additional language population. That's students who are speaking English as a second, third or even fourth language when they come to our schools. And while this is a wonderful opportunity for cultural exchange, for great linguistic diversity, it can also be a real challenge. I think one of the most common things I talk with schools about is them asking me, Shane, how do we cope when in one class we've got students with zero English and fully proficient English students? Our teachers are overwhelmed. What do we do? Now, there's many programs you can look at and interestingly I'm developing my own program at the minute so watch out for that. But for this short episode I want to share with you three ways that I think you can make your school more linguistically inclusive but also make your teachers feel much more comfortable with the linguistic diversity of the students they serve. My first piece of advice is about mindset and specifically have you got an additive mindset where multilingual students enrich the educational experience? Or do you have a deficit mindset where multilingual students who haven't grasped English proficiently yet are seen as an issue to overcome? Some of the time when I'm working with schools, we actually talk about the language of labeling their support programs as quite important. So for example, even the term EAL, which is really common in especially British international schools. EAL is English as additional language, or you might see ESL, English as a second language. These terms actually have over time promoted a bit of a deficit 
mindset and skills. Let me explain what I mean. What's the first thing you think of when I say to you, okay, you're going to get some EAL children in your classroom? You're probably going to think, oh, crikey, little English, right? Ah, they're going to struggle. Ah, how am I going to be able to differentiate my materials for them? How are they going to access? Oh, it's going to be extra planning. Oh, it's going to be difficult. All these challenges, they're very natural challenges. And they're not wrong to acknowledge because, of course, we do need to adapt our practice to make our lessons more accessible. But this is also problematic. It's problematic because of one simple fact. These students are learning English as an additional language. They don't have a deficit of anything. It's not their fault that we've decided to run our school in the language other than the one they were brought up at. And it doesn't mean that English is a better language than their home language either. So by having this deficit mindset of these students need to catch up on something, we can end up getting ourselves into bad habits, one of which is assuming that students know less than they actually do. So a good conversation you could have in your school is, do we have a deficit approach to EAL where we see it as a negative where they need to catch up? Or do we have an additive approach where we see the addition as additional languages into our community, those additional funds of knowledge that these students bring with them? Do we see that as an overall benefit? And are we capitalizing on that? That reframing of language can be so important. And I've seen many schools move over from the concept of EAL, English language learning, to multilingual learners or emergent bilingual learners to describe their students who are starting their, their journey with English to represent that they've not got a deficit. They're not behind in anything. They may be. There may be something cognitively there. They may have not covered a certain topic, but we can't assume they're behind in anything. They're just emerging into a bilingual a trilingual, a multilingual world. And that leads in to my second way to help, which is about scaffolding up, not differentiating down. I think this actually would be my central tenet that I advise when I'm speaking with schools. How are you ensuring that your materials that you're presenting, you always allow students to stand on scaffolds to access them rather than dumbing down the materials? I'll give you an example. I worked with a school a good few years ago now, and they were teaching grade four class. So what's that about age 10? And a teacher was talking to me saying, look, we've got a unit on rainforest. Our unit of inquiry is on rainforests. And we are teaching all about the ecosystem of the rainforest, the different layers of the rainforest, the different creatures that live in the different parts of the rainforest, how that ecosystem works, the weather patterns all this amazing content on rainforests. But this teacher said, the problem is I've got some students in my class who have just started learning English. They're pretty new to English. So he said to me, my aim for them is going to be different. I just want them by the end of this unit to be able to say, it is a tree. It is big. It is green. He said that way they'll have learned present simple tense. They'll be using language in a way that's at their level. Linguistically, this might be appropriate, right? This might be at the linguistically appropriate level for that student. But can you really say that when you're doing a unit on rainforests, 
Allowing the EAL student just to talk about descriptions such as big and green is cognitively demanding enough and also fulfilling enough for a 10-year-old? Of course not. When we think about that, of course they're able to do much more. So we need to, instead of thinking about differentiating it right down, we need to think, how do we scaffold up? So what could that teacher have done in that situation? Well, for one, they could have leaned in to the home language. Can you allow that student to explore the rainforest in their home language? The internet makes this much more easy nowadays for them to be able to access materials in their home language. I had a case with older students, some Korean girls who were in a science lesson before, and they were doing a, um, a project on volcanoes. They were new to English. The science teacher was very brave and asked them to do the full preparation in Korean, in their home language. And then the only rule was that when they came to do the presentation, they had to present in English. But as a result of doing this, the students were able to go into real depth into their funds of knowledge with volcanoes, for which these two girls actually already had a great understanding. When they came to doing their presentation, they used a translation feature and they presented. And you know what? They get the highest grade in the class. That could have gone so differently. That teacher could have gone, hey, you don't have to do this project. You can just label a diagram of a volcano. You don't have to do this. And in that sense, those girls would have never had a chance to explore or demonstrate what they're capable of. That's what scaffolding is about. It's about putting something in place. There are so many ways you can scaffold, and I don't have time to go into it today. But the idea is put scaffolds in place, and then over time, slowly remove those scaffolds. The additional benefit to scaffolding, rather than dumbing down, is that the students don't miss content, which means they don't have to catch up later. They're constantly doing the content you're teaching in a scaffolded way. And the third big win, and I think this is a, an easy win that is not done in enough schools, is teaching language across the curriculum. Now, a caveat. I've seen so many schools that have a policy saying every teacher is an English teacher or we teach language across the curriculum. Every teacher is responsible for teaching language. We get it. Yes, it's an easy statement to make. But how does a teacher actually live that? I don't think we as organizations sometimes make it easy enough to work it. And as a result, you find departments giving evidence of their language by vocabulary lists. And of course, vocabulary is just one part of the language framework. Here's a tip for teaching language across the curriculum. Can you create a set of language structures that you include in every lesson across the school for a period of time? The idea is you set a set of language structures. These are generic language structures for discussion. Because let's face it, we have discussion in all of our lessons. We're constantly asking students questions and getting them to respond to us. So can we agree structures that could be useful? Maybe one month we're talking about structures around opinions. I think that, in my opinion, one might say, but I think, these kind of things. Maybe sometimes it's around classifying. So you're using structures such as these are, or you can group them into X and X. You notice these structures are very useful for going across subjects. You can see multiple uses of them. The easiest, easiest win for you 
is to decide a set of structures, and you can get these structures off the internet. You can even use ChatGPT to generate you lists of these models and structures, questions and answer stems, however you want to search them. You can generate the list, and then the idea is you would stick a poster up in every classroom with that list. Maybe just pick five or six. Keep it short. Five or six structures, we're going to put up a poster in every classroom, and we're going to change it every month. And then all the teachers have to do when they're asking questions to their students is to go, let's see, let's reference this poster, this scaffold. Can you use this structure when you're trying to answer questions from me? Of course, it's not going to be applicable for every situation, but in the schools I've seen use this, you'd be surprised how much that happens. And imagine that's every student using this structure, six structures a month over the year. You've got well over 50 structures that students have probably become very familiar with. Times that by their school life, there are hundreds and hundreds of academic structures that the students will be comfortable with. It's not just a benefit for EAL students, it's a benefit for oracy across the school. And it's easy to do. It doesn't require long co-planning meetings. It doesn't require planning long learning objectives or shared planning or creating themes. It just requires identifying some general academic style language you want to prompt and agreeing that, sticking it up in each person's classroom and the teachers agreeing that they're going to use that. So there you go, three tips. And these are three small tips that, and there are so many more. And as I said, I'm currently developing a course that teachers and leaders in schools will be able to use to develop EL strategies in your school. So watch out for that in the next couple of months. So those three strategies, again, are have an additive model, not a deficit model, scaffold up, don't differentiate down, and support language structures across the curriculum. I hope that was a useful brief overview today. I really enjoyed chatting about it. I could talk for hours about this, and actually that's kind of something I do a lot. So if you want to chat more, reach out to me. I'm always happy for a geek out on all things language acquisition. Global Ed Leaders is hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaning, with original music by Guillermo Silva. If you like this show, it would mean the world if you could write a review on your podcast platform. I'll be sure to check it and give it a shout out on the show. And if you are online, reach out and share your journey with me. You can find me on X using my handle at Shane, or on LinkedIn using the links in the show notes. But as always, if we don't speak before, I'll see you here next week.